Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining in this Advent Lexio episode, the first in the Advent season. I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Janzik, and today I am joined by Father Patrick, or with Father Patrick, by and with Father Patrick Briscoe and Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to the episode, fathers. How you doing? Doing well. That's great. And you, Father Patrick, you're looking at me like I'm, I'm ready. An idiot. <laughs> I'm ready for Advent. Well, here we are, first Sunday of Advent. So a few years ago, you or a couple years ago, you all might remember that there was a little thing called COVID, and we started doing these Sunday Lexio episodes um, during Lent uh, because for some reason uh, the Mass was no longer important, so we couldn't go to Mass. So we thought that we could um, help people pray the Mass at home by introducing uh, a series of Lexio Divina kind of episodes where we talk through the readings for the Sunday Mass. Uh, and we've kept on with that tradition or custom and Advent and Lent. So we are back to Advent, which is hard to believe, uh, but here we are. So for those of, uh, those of you who are new to these uh, to these Lexio episodes, uh, we simply walk through the readings, offer our kind of thoughts on them, and hopefully that helps you to prepare for Sunday Mass in the weeks of Advent and the coming uh, Nativity of our Lord. So we'll start with the prayer for the first Sunday of Advent, and then we'll move into the readings for this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Grant your faithful, we pray, Almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds at his coming, so that gathered at his right hand, they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, Father Gregory, take us to the, to the first reading. A reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and Judah. In those days, in that time, I will raise up for David a just shoot. He shall do what is right and just in the land. In those days, Judah shall be safe, and Jerusalem shall dwell secure. This is what they shall call her, the Lord our justice. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this first reading from the prophet Jeremiah, there's an interesting line or an interesting um, way by which our Lord is identified uh, in that, in that uh, the prophet says, I will raise up for David a just shoot. Um, why a just shoot? Why are we talking about a shoot uh, for David? Well, we can think here, if we fast forward to the coming weeks of Advent of the O Antiphons, I'm sure we'll talk about that in some future episodes uh, in, the, in the sort of week leading up to Christmas. Uh, there are a series of Antiphons or short chants that um, implore our Lord to come. Uh, and we, the most famous is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, where we get the hymn. And one of these O Antiphons, uh, we, we call the Lord uh, the, the, the Shoot of Jesse. And if we think, okay, shoot, shoot of David, shoot of Jesse, what are we getting at here? Well, we're getting what the prophet of Jeremiah is, is leading us to understand is this idea of genealogy or identity. Where is Christ? Where is the Christ coming from? Who is the Christ? How are we going to be able to identify him? 
And of course, the Gospels of Matthew and, and Luke give us a genealogy in different orders, but a way by which to recognize Christ. And in the, math, in the Gospel of Matthew, the evangelist links our Savior, Christ, to King David through walking by walking through um, his genealogy. Jeremiah here is preparing us to receive the King of Kings, to see this lineage from David all the way down uh, through to our Lord, that, that Christ is indeed the King, that he is the one who rises up from this lineage of, of King David, who was the promised sort of uh, promised kind of prophetic King of the Israelites. One of the things in the Christmas season, as we prepare for Christmas or in Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, um, is that we prepare to see Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Uh, we prepare to see his humanity. Um, but the prophet here is also reminding us that even though Christ comes as a tiny child born in the manger, we all know the story, that we also have to prepare to receive our king, the one who comes to save, the king of king, kings and lord of lords, the one who invites us to share in his reign, in his life, in his divinity. One of the things that strikes me about this reading from Jeremiah is that it has a bizarre re relationship to time. So we get a sense that uh, the days have already happened, that the days are past, right? Uh, but also that we're looking forward to something. And Advent is a time of both of those things, right, for Christians, where we look back to the promises that God made to Israel, these ancient promises uh, that we believe were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus uh, when he came as a baby, um, when he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, but we also are, are thinking not only of the past times, of the past faithfulness of God, not only of the ways in which Jesus of Nazareth fulfills the prophecies uh, that were given by the prophets of Israel, but we're also looking forward to a future coming of the Messiah. So when we read these readings from the prophets, like this reading from Jeremiah that we have as the first reading this Sunday, uh, we're also, as Christians, looking forward to the future, to Christ's coming again in glory. So Advent is at once a preparation to recall Christ's first coming, but it is also at the same time a kind of looking forward, uh, uh, an expectation of what will come on the last day. In that way, this, the relationship with time in this reading is quite beautiful. It's not a confused thing or a muddled thing, uh, but there is a real tension there that as Christians, we're constantly looking back to God's faithfulness. We're looking back to the work that he did uh, when, uh, when Jesus was born, when he came in his first coming. Um, we're looking, we're looking back to that which has happened as, even as we're still looking forward to what is about to come in the future. Uh, certainly in the past couple of years, we've heard a lot about being safe and being secure, uh, being healthy, being fit, all these things. Uh, since we're in the business now of COVID hot takes, why not add another one to the mix? Um, one thing that struck me about uh, this particular reading is the way in which uh, we have described for us what it means to be safe and what it means to be secure. And then the way in which that's kind of juxtaposed with or combined with this notion of justice. So if we hope to be safe, if we hope to be secure, the only way in which we can have that is in the Lord, who is our justice. And when we think about justice, oftentimes our first kind of um, our first thoughts tend towards like criminal justice or getting what we deserve. But here it has a more embracing notion behind it, this idea that we can be justified or made righteous. So certainly when the Lord comes, he brings with him or he inaugurates a time of justification that goes beyond what preceded him. So the old law 
made known the, the bounds of righteousness. They told you, all right, if you stay within these bounds, you know, you can hope for a certain righteousness. If you go without these bounds, then you cannot hope for a certain righteousness. But the old law didn't have the capacity to actually make you righteous. Whereas when the Lord comes, he gives a new law, which is to say he, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He pours the Holy Spirit into our hearts and makes us to be righteous. So there is no security. There is no safety apart from the Lord. And that for us kind of um, helps us, I think, to situate the safety and security, which we seek in, in daily affairs and daily matters in light of the justification, the righteousness, which our Lord alone gives and from which we draw our peace, our strength, our hope. There you have it. On to the second reading from uh, St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we have for you, so as to strengthen your hearts, to be blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus, with all, this, with all his holy ones. Amen. Finally, brothers and sisters, we earnestly ask and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you should conduct yourselves to please God, and as you are conducting yourselves, you do so even more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, the word of the Lord. I was uh, recently at home uh, with my family, um, and I was visiting my sister and my brother-in-law who were trying to potty train my nephew. And there were a few things from that situation uh, that I noticed. One, I'm very happy to be a priest. Uh, I'm, very, I'm very grateful for, uh, for my religious life um, and a life that's fraught with challenges, uh, but it doesn't involve trying to convince toddlers to use the bathroom. Um, and that's a, re that's a really magnificent thing, um, because if you've ever done this, uh, that is tried to potty train a toddler, um, it's a rather difficult and, um, well, messy business. And I think that one of the temptations uh, that we can have uh, about Christian life is to perceive Christian life exclusively as some kind of training, and that if we soil ourselves <laughs> enough, uh, then eventually we'll learn, we'll learn the kinds of behaviors that are, are going to work best for us, uh, that are going to be clean and optimal behaviors, um, the kinds of things that will make life easier for us. And so we, we, we can reduce Christian life to a kind of instruction, to a kind of training, and we could get a sense of that from, uh, from the second reading. Um, we could say, okay, all you have to do to be a good Christian is to conduct yourselves in the way that I've taught you. All right, you know, we've gone through the steps. You know what to do. Tell, tell me if you're ready. Uh, yeah, I've trained you in what, what is to be done at the proper times. Um, but that's reductive of the Christian life because Christian life is so much more than that. And so the beginning of the second reading points us to what is a correct interpretation of this. Um, to see how broad Christian life is, that it's not simply a manner of training, as if training a toddler uh, to use the toilet, uh, but that it's something much broader, because we see that it's the Lord who makes us to abound and to increase, and that God has greater horizons, uh, greater things planned for us than we could train ourselves for. That Jesus wants to do so much more uh, with us, so much more with our lives than something that we could simply habituate ourselves to. Um, I was recently... Yes, yeah, so you led in with a story which involved potty training. I'm going to lead in with a story that involves the Netherlands, because why not? Um, so I was this are past those, weekend. Those are related? Yeah, totally related. Hey, no, I'm sorry to all of our Dutch here. listeners. Yeah, No, not in the least. Um, so I was in the Netherlands this past weekend with uh, visiting the Nashville Dominican sisters who have a convent there, and then just kind of 
I don't know, helping out or making more difficult their apostolic engagements over the course of a couple of days. Uh, and at one point, I was one of the sisters is charged with the care of the Catholic student group at the University of Maastricht. The chances that I pronounce that word correctly are zero percent. So don't repeat it. Um, but there is a city. It sounds like that in some vague way. And I was there. Um, but the, the students were just asking questions about a variety of things. And, and a lot of it came back to relationship. And I just found myself repeating that it's all relationship all the way down. And it's something that I like to repeat. And I, I suppose I don't get tired of hearing myself repeat it, but Father Patrick certainly does. Um, but I, I find it striking here and, and very much in continuity with the point that you just made, Father Patrick, that we're to be made holy before our God and Father. And that's not in the sense that like, okay, like you said, it's just a matter of training, accumulating grace points, getting yourself to a certain status, to a certain level, and then you will be admitted into the company of those who have proved themselves, you know, Herculean moral juggernauts. No, that's not the point. The point is to be in the presence of the Lord and the whole life of virtue conducts you to that end. The whole life of virtue is unto that end. And so it's not like something that you go and do apart from the Lord and then check back in with him to say like, hey, look how well I've done. It's something that's interpersonal. It's something that's relational all the way down. So if we are to, please God, you know, attain to Trinitarian communion, to live with God in communion unto ages of ages, then that's going to characterize the way in which we go about it, right? So if we're going to communion, we're going to go by communion. And I think that... Um, yeah, like our, our, our pursuit of holiness should be characterized by this personalistic dimension, that it's always before our God and Father. It's always in the presence of the Lord. It's always a matter of recovering this Godward gaze that we have lost by sin. The whole thing of training, of preparation that Father Patrick and Father Gregory are, are talking about presupposes a reality um, that is that we are not yet ready. Um, this is too why St. Paul mm -hmm. Um, in this reading and the prophets throughout Advent, you know, they're all, you, we can think too of John the Baptist that we'll get in the, in the gospels, that all of this is about preparation, about getting ready because we're not yet ready. If we were ready, we wouldn't have to train. We wouldn't have to prepare. We wouldn't have to do anything. Um, and I think what Father Gregory was saying is, is spot on that sometimes we talk about training in virtue or preparation in the virtues as, um, sort of like. Uh, with a with a sports analogy, and that you just repeat this sort of thing in practice, so that you're ready in game time. But truth be told, the Christian life is all about game time. There is no stepping aside from living well, um, from living with the Lord. Um, it's all about like whatever one second on the clock you have to make this shot. Not because the Christian life is about this high intensity anxiety thing, but because every moment with our Lord is a beautiful, important moment that he is inviting us to share in, in, with him in, to be in his presence, not just at like these point, you know, one moment in time at these high intensity kind of experiences, but each moment. And the beauty of that, and the beauty of this preparation, of this preparation and charity and virtue, and, um, and then these seasons of Advent and, and Lent too, but these preparatory seasons that the church offers us is a reminder that, yeah, we have to prepare because we're not yet ready, but it's, it's ultimately the Lord who prepares us. We give ourselves to him, but it's his grace that transforms us and allows us to be conformed to him, to live in his, in his life and in his goodness and in his mercy. Um, so it's, it's, I think what St. Paul is trying to, to remind us of here is that it's, it's the Lord's work, but we have to be there. Um, and there, there, 
as we get through these readings uh, throughout the season of Advent, we can we can feel this sort of intensity that, you know, to be awake, to be on guard, to be prepared, um, because the Lord is here. He's coming and he desires to share himself with you, not in the future, certain. Well, in the future, but not just in the future now, too. OK, let's turn then to our our gospel for this first Sunday of Advent. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, There will be signs in the sun and moon and the stars, and on earth nations will be in dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect and raise your heads, because your redemption is at hand. Beware that your hearts do not become drowsy from carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life, and that day catch you by surprise like a trap. For that day will assault everyone who lives on the face of the earth. Be vigilant at all times, and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, when preparing for Mass this past weekend for the Feast of Christ the King, the first reading was taken from the book of the prophet Daniel, which spoke about the Son of Man coming on the clouds and seated at the right hand of the power. And then that same prophecy or that same kind of description was rehearsed um, kind of by allusion in, in the gospel reading, which was taken from our Lord's conversation with Pilate. So it hearkens to um, the Lord's condemnation before the Sanhedrin, in which, you know, he, he, he oped not his mouth, as it said in the fourth servant song. But finally, when he does open his mouth, he claims that messianic prophecy, and that's what eventually precipitates his condemnation. So it's clear that this is, that this is a very precious prophecy, and it's something that, um, that the Lord owns that the Lord recognizes himself in, as it were. Father Anthony Gembroni gave a really excellent talk at one point on the Tomisk Institute podcast about our Lord recognizing himself in the messianic identity of Israel, which is awesome. Um, I think the, the lecture ended with, and what will the son of man do at the end of the age? He will read Torah. I was like, holy smokes. Um, but this, this identification of the Lord is coming on the clouds makes us think of some of these messianic prophecies, which uh, I just remember watching the first episode of Robert Barron's Catholicism series. It's got to be like 12 years ago now, where he describes how the Lord, you know, gathers the tribes and puts to rout the enemies of Israel and, you know, ushers in a messianic kingdom and et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. But it's fascinating that, that our Lord's claim to be the Messiah, his claim to be king, his claim to be sovereign, his claim to be the one who administers salvation, who brings about a reign of salvation, is connected with his death. And there's, I don't know, the, the connection there is at the very least paradoxical. At most, it's it's very, very mysterious. And I was thinking about this with respect to Christ the King, but thinking about it now in the context of the new liturgical year, thinking about it in the context of Advent. Here again, we're called to a kind of vigilance, whereas with Christ the King at the end of the year, we were thinking about our Lord's coming, I suppose, at the end of the age. Here, we're thinking about his first coming, but all of these comings are interrelated, whether it be first, last, or that middle coming where he visits each of us in the intimacy of our hearts in the context of the life of grace. But at base, what we recognize is that the Lord comes to make a claim. 
the Lord comes to kind of take charge of our lives. I've recently had conversations with a couple of people who described to me how they just feel themselves more and more devoured by the desire for prayer, by the desire for like penance, by the desire for spending lots and lots of time with the Lord uh, and in connection with the discernment of a religious vocation. And it's like, it's almost as if Jesus is ruining their lives. But I think that the same can be said of all of our lives in maybe modest and humble ways for some, maybe in more kind of dramatic and exalted for others. But the Lord's coming for us and he's coming to make a claim. So when we hear all of this language about vigilance, as we will in, in coming weeks and in the readings, you know, for the weekday masses of Advent, it's not because the Lord wants to, you know, catch us off guard. He wants to, like, punish us because we are sleeping on the job. It's because he wants us. It's because he wants us whole and entire. Truth be told, he created us for that purpose. He redeemed us for that purpose. And he will stop at nothing short of having our whole heart. So know that, be encouraged by that, that the Lord comes in haste to claim you for his own. Uh, on All Souls Day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, I was assigned the community mass here at the Dominican House of Studies. And I decided to preach on a song, um, and I did. Uh, and then for the next two days, the celebrants following decided to either, because they so so wanted to emulate me or mock me, I'm not sure, both decided to preach on songs. Uh, so that was great. Uh, yep, that was Father Patrick. He was the next one the day after, so bless his little heart. I mention all this because I want to mention a song, an Advent hymn called Wake Awake for Night is Flying, which is really beautiful. Um, you can find it on YouTube or these sort of things. But the there are a couple lines from the first verse. The, the first line of the first verse is that title, Wake Awake for Night is Flying. The watchmen on the heights are crying. And then it goes down a little bit uh, and it says, the bridegroom comes awake. Um, there's and and I think that hymn, it really that Advent hymn of 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 calling us to awaken, to be alert, to be ready. We talked about in the, with the second reading this sort of preparation, this training of but of being present to the Lord. It's all of a piece here to sort of crawl out by our Lord's help and by by grace and by in a penitential season of, of sort of disciplines and and kind of fine tuning, um, you know, our practices and our observances. There, there's a desire or uh, there's a desire on behalf of our Lord to wake us out of like the slumber or the sloth of sin um, so that we can be ready to receive him so that he doesn't go by and we kind of miss him because we're distracted by, you know, some lesser goods or stupid things, whatever we might be distracted by. If we look at the preface uh, for um, for this Sunday, for the first Sunday of Advent, it says this. For he assumed at his first coming the lowliness of human flesh. And then a little later in the same prayer, it says, when he, uh, when he comes again in glory and majesty and is all at last made manifest, we who watch for that day may inherit the great promise in which now we dare to hope. Um, Christ come, you know, I mentioned this with the first reading and the prophet Jeremiah is um, trying to prepare us to see the humanity, but also the divinity and the kingship of our Lord. And, and two, again, this reading from the Gospel of Luke in the Mass on the first Sunday of Advent does the same. Christ comes at Christmas at the incarnation as a man, but will again come, you know, as the God-man, but in, in, in kingly splendor. And this preparation ought not lead us to a sort of scrupulosity of, am I ready? Am I, but, you know, whatever kind of thing, but a sort of habitual being with our Lord. Um, it shouldn't 
overwhelm us in the sense of becoming a stumbling block of like, you know, constantly existentially second guessing, like, am I ready for him? Am I, is this prepared? Is that prepared? You know, but a focus, not a scrupulosity, but a focus on being with him, on being ready to receive him, uh, wake awake for night is flying. The, the, you know, the, the, the new dawn, the son of God is just a few weeks away. And what a beautiful way to begin to think about that and prepare for that. Growing up, we had two miniature schnauzers, and one of them was deadly, deadly afraid of the vacuum cleaner. And uh, all you had to do was walk to the closet where the vacuum cleaner was kept, and it was as if you were unleashing a dragon, you know, in a um, in a grade school. <laughs> it was like it was the most overwhelming terror for this poor dog to even even walk near the vacuum cleaner, let alone to turn it on. Uh, all, all of us can think of the, uh, signs of fright in life, and maybe yours is not a miniature schnauzer that's afraid of a vacuum cleaner. Maybe it's a, a moment, a moment of actual terror uh, in your own life, and, and that 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 causes us to think of the gravity of what we're talking about here in the gospel. Jesus tells us people will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming into the world. Uh, the sign of Christ coming on the last day will be terrifying for those who do not know him, those who are not ready for him. So an image that people often um, discuss of this is the great image in the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, right? It's right across the street from us here at the House of Studies, and there's a, a great image of Christ that's terrifying. And a lot of people dismiss the image. They say, I don't like it. And what I think a lot of them mean is they don't like the thought of Christ coming uh, in power on the last day, the day at which we'll all have to own up for the things that we've done, um, that maybe we're embarrassed of and the things that we've failed to do. But the thing that allows us to stand in Christ's presence, the, things, the thing that allows us to bear the sight of uh, the sight of something so frightening, of something so terrible as Christ coming in glory, is the love of Christ himself, is that he will stand with us on the last day and give us the confidence, the grace, uh, the mercy we need to be able to bear the sight before him. So the only thing that would console the terrified miniature schnauzer of the vacuum cleaner uh, would be my sisters who felt pity on the dogs. I did not because, you know, personal sin and stuff. Uh, but my sisters felt badly for the dogs and they would pick the dogs up in their arms and shield the dogs with their, their own presence. Well, Christ's presence will not be terrible for us who know him, for us who love him. Uh, his presence will be a blessing and will will allow us to bear the things um, that otherwise would be terrifying and frightening on the last day, that, that Christ himself is the kind of balm that allows us to face um, dreadful and horrible things that Christ will comfort us in the end uh, by his, his own presence. So with that, we will leave you with our, with our thoughts, uh, our reflections, as it were, on these Sunday readings for the first Sunday of Advent. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. And hopefully this proves a bit helpful for you as you prepare for these weeks of Advent for today, this Sunday, but also for the weeks, the weeks ahead. Um, if you think this episode might benefit somebody else, feel free to share that. Do all the things that help us you know, like, subscribe, all of that. Thank you too to our uh, supporters, those who pray for us and those who support us financially, uh, especially through Patreon. If you're interested this Advent season to give alms, maybe consider the podcast, God's Planning. Uh, 
uh, that would be great because it is your um, your help here that allows the podcast to continue and to grow and to bring, I guess, the gospel and whatever ideas of miniature schnauzers that we have to uh, to all of you out there. So thanks for mu- so much for tuning in. And um, we'll wrap up this episode with a prayer from the, um, from the solemn blessing at the end of this Sunday's Mass. May the Almighty and merciful God, by whose grace you have placed your faith in the first coming of his only begotten Son, and yearn for his coming again, sanctify you by the radiance of Christ's advent, and enrich you with his blessing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.